that there is, uh, you know, a, this is going to sound dramatic, but a human cost to, mm-hmm. to that and to realize that our coaches are, you know, they, they have bandwidth, a bandwidth threshold too. Um, and I think, but I also think it makes sense, a lot of sense that Chris Peterson would be somebody who would do this as opposed to say Nick Saban or whoever. Um, because if you look at built for life and you look at the fact that he stayed in Boise for what, nine years as a head coach, not even taking into account as an offensive coordinator, um, he, despite every year getting huge offers for a shitload of money, um, clearly you look at all of those factors and kind of reverse engineer them. Obviously, A, he has values outside of football, which, duh, like I'm not saying anything new there, um, and just has a prioritization in his life of things that I don't want to say matter because that's kind of cliche, but of things that make you happy versus, you know, when the coaches that otherwise jump from job to job to climb that ladder which, you know, there's nothing wrong with if that's, but I think you have to be a, a certain amount of myopic, um, to do that in a way that Chris Peterson isn't. Cause he's detail oriented and obsessive, but he's not, I mean, the whole concept of how he runs his program is the exact opposite of myopic. It's really comprehensive. And, and I think in order to do that, you have to have a perspective outside of football, which he obviously does. But if you have that perspective, then eventually the football side of it is, kind of going to take a toll um, because there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much watts and calories that a human being can put out and consume. Yeah, um, I think it, piggybacking on that, there's I, the, there's kind of a, historically the talking point when somebody says, like, I'm leaving to spend more time with my family or I'm taking a step back. It's, you know, that's like how pres- presidential candidates shut down their campaign. It's yeah. you know, it kind of like a wink and a nod. Uh, we're like, okay, we know what you're, we know Stan Van Gundy, you're not leaving the Miami Heat right after they signed LeBron James because you want to spend more time with your family. There's something else going on here. Um, you mentioned that th- uh, there's some precedent for it. Stoops more or less was in a, a kind of a, a corollary and also with the handpicked successor in tow, and hopefully Jimmy Lake is as good as Lincoln Riley. But outside of the U.S., this is something that uh, European soccer coaches do more often, and that may resemble college football in a sense that uh, the sport is really, really year-round. Like a baseball, Major League Baseball manager yeah. does some recruiting of free agents in the offseason and whatnot, but they actually do get some time off in a way that a college football coach doesn't. Like that, that job really is 365 days a year, and there are – uh, numerous examples of like the high level uh, European soccer coaches who take a sabbatical, like they leave for a year and you're thinking like, Oh, he's just going to find another job. And they really do take a year off or two years off or something. And it's not just, uh, uh, you know, a way to, to walk away for something. And the other part of it that I think you were kind of getting at is that Peterson is unique. He's, he does things differently. Uh, and I don't think that's just a talking point for, uh, Husky fans to pump, pump their chest out about because sometimes it works to the team's advantage and sometimes it doesn't. You know, like continuing to play Andre Bocelli all year didn't really work to his advantage, but it's kind of like a loyalty thing or make, keeping a scholarship yeah. out there for a high school player who has kind of deteriorated since he accepted the offer is not really advantageous, but it's something he believes in. So, I, I, so I, long story short, when we say he's unique, and if you say, like, when he leaves, it's going to be different from how other coaches leave, I would believe that. Uh, but I don't think anybody specifically saw this version of it coming. You might have said, like, we're not going to see him leave the way that Nick Saban's going to leave Alabama or, you know, Clay Helton's going to have the guillotine fall on him at USC. We're going to see him leave in a different way. We just didn't know that it was going to be this way. You think that's fair? Yeah, like I, I fully thought he would retire or whatever with uh, UW. And, you know, I suppose I, this is sort of a version of that, just much sooner than we were expecting. Um, but, yeah, I, if you had t- asked me if I thought it was going to be on a Monday at 11 a.m. Yeah. before Clay Helton technically lost his job, <laughs> I I wouldn't guess that for sure. Uh, well, but yeah, this is I think, clearly I think, in the works. 
Because it, I think uh, Christian Cable tweeted the MOU that uh, covered Jimmy Lake's contract terms, and it was signed um, midday on December 1st, which means that mm-hmm. he had agreed to a contract less than 48 hours after the Apple Cup, which means this was yeah. in the works for quite some time. So I, I'm, I'm sure this didn't come as a surprise to anybody in the athletic department as much as it was completely blindsiding the rest of us. So let's yeah, totally. take a little bit of a step back and look at this from a big-picture perspective. I, what do you think – how will Peterson be remembered as a UW coach? And I'm, I'm – you kind of alluded earlier to the fact that he said he's recharging. He didn't say retiring. Maybe he'll coach again someday. Maybe it'll be at UW. Maybe it'll be at – for the Dallas Cowboys, maybe it'll be for, uh, you know, Mount Union. Who knows? Like I love uh, that rumor. Yeah, I know. It's very fun. He, can't, he just can't quit Kellen Moore. Uh, so what – but what do you think, assuming none of that happens, uh, and this really – he goes on to be a consultant. He doesn't coach anymore at UW in the future. How will fans remember the time he spent here? I think a lot of it – Okay, I think that there's a baseline of how he will be remembered, and I think past that, a lot of it has to do with how Jimmy Lake does from this point forward, because so much of this, I mean, yeah, sure, it's Jimmy Lake, and we'll see, it's his team now, and we'll see what staff changes are made, and if the philosophy uh, around, like, the X's and O's changes, um, so, so, I mean, we can see, depending on how the, the success uh, goes goes forward or doesn't, um, knock on, I don't have any wood things around me, but I do have wicker, so I'll knock on wicker. Um, but I think in general, if, if say Jimmy like takes this program and continues the trajectory or improves it, um, of which we could talk about that later for sure on the kind of that critical juncture. Um, I think then Peterson will be remembered. I mean, he's already kind of a mythical person in college football in general um for everything it, it will see and then you know whatever um but I think yeah I think it his legacy if all goes according to plan it I, th- I could see it definitely being kind of not blown out of proportion because he's a great dude and a great coach and like UW fans deserve to memorialize him forever um, but yeah, I, I suppose for lack of better words, I could see him being really, really lionized if Jimmy Lake's era kind of works as a continuous a continuation of Peterson, um, in an even greater way. I think if it kind of stagnates a little bit or, um, uh, kind of has some more bumps in the road, which, you know, who knows, um, I think he'll still be remembered really really fondly I mean you can't I don't I, I, I mean, there's always some sort of revisionist history on all coaches and players and blah 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 but I mean it, you know the, the stuff that he brought you to back from I mean it's not like he took him from 0 and 12 to 2016 uh, but uh, you know if, if Stark took a team from the absolute worst it could be to just functional than what Peterson did was such a exponentially more significant move, you know, because it's, it's right. yeah. to, like go harder from, to go from good to great than it is great. from bad to adequate. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, he really had seen that in 25 years, you know, right. And, uh, I think when he you make a, a really good point about, how he will be more, or his legacy will depend more on how fruitful his coaching tree is than most coaches, mm-hmm. because his actual coaching tenure at UW is shorter than it is for most highly successful coaches. Uh, you know, sure. usually there's not turnover unless something goes wrong, and here nothing, at least on the field, went significantly wrong. There weren't recruiting violations that we know of. There, there weren't, you know, nobody was running a March Madness pool out of the office this time and so on. So, you know, things ended on a relative high note. So that helps him in a way, but it also distinguishes his situation from most uh, coaching transitions. But, uh, and, and you know, I, I think with that said, the the natural question is, how does he kind of fit into the pantheon of, 
UW head coaches, and based on the amount of time he spent here, he's never going to be thought of with the same reverence as Don James. It's hard for me to imagine that we would build a statue outside the stadium for somebody who coached here for six years. Um, And that if he stayed another five years, if he, I don't know if he would have had to win a national title to get to the same level as Don James. Maybe he would have. Uh, The college football is very different now. If he'd stayed another five years and made the college football playoff one or two more times, if he'd won two or three more Pac-12 titles, gone to the Rose Bowl, actually, you know, elevated the talent base, as it seems like the coaching staff has been doing over the last couple of recruiting cycles to a level where they win games like uh, the Fiesta Bowl against Penn State or the Peach Bowl against Alabama. You know, just get a couple of those signature nationwide important wins under the belt. I think then you're talking about somebody who is kind of a 1A in school history, and maybe you are building a statue of him outside the stadium. So, you know, he's obviously – that's not how he's making his decision here. If he was, he'd probably be a very different person, and that's okay that he doesn't do that. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Jimmy Lake and – as I think you, you know, we're alluding to the awful pun possibilities of his name. And uh, we'll start with Montlake Lake, which is just uncreative and unfunny and terrible. But what are your general impressions of Jimmy Lake as a head coach? Uh, start there. Like, what do, you, what do you think we're going to see from him that will look different from what we saw on the field the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's really interesting because, because, um, like a lot of the writers or the listeners, a lot of us were talking in our Slack channel about, um, you know, the success or not always success of, um, coordinators who are brought up, uh, promoted to a head coach, especially their first go around, um, whether that be on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. And I think what's interesting about Lake in, in a way that kind of maybe sets him apart from the typical case, is the amount of time he spent under this program specifically kind of in a in somewhat of a of a CEO role um that is kind of what is expected of head coaches. So I mean that's kind of so much of why why transitioning from a coordinator to a head coach is often kind of fraught especially the first time for people is because it really is inherently a totally different job. Like really, really, how well you can be a coordinator should not factor into getting a head coaching job uh, in a in a vacuum because they're not really related. But um, but I think what Lake was able to do as far as in the defensive backs room uh, as a defensive coordinator, coded defensive coordinator, um, and and with his many roles that he had in this one program, um with the experience of how kind of Chris Peterson runs things um, and then seeing things from so many different angles because he had so many different roles, I think definitely does kind of set, set him apart a little bit. And I, you know, I don't want to be too optimistic right now. I feel like I'm cautiously optimistic. And the reason for the thing that I think what could Hypothetically, sorry, I'm like really not articulate right now just because this has all happened so fast. Um, but I think really it comes down to the fact that it, they're at a critical juncture right now where Lake could, as it's his first head coaching job, hopefully last forever. Um, you know, he could have growing pains and it could end up kind of stagnating for a while. Um, hopefully not, whatever. Um, but I think in, because he knows the detail has been exposed for so long to the detail oriented process that Chris Peterson, um, what, you know, uses and that creates a successful program on and off the field. Um, I think he's well equipped to do that. Um, but also he has as like a young guy who's charismatic, really good recruiter. Um, and frankly, hasn't been doing it for 30, 35 years. I think he has the energy still that Chris Peterson probably was burning out on a little bit. So I think theoretically at this critical juncture, he could be running it more effectively than Peterson was simply as a result of youth and energy, uh, which sounds kind of dumb. But when 
when you know how everything has to go and you're not mentally, um, you know, charged enough to do that, it doesn't really matter if you know if you can't do it. And so I think theoretically that, that Lake could kind of take those reins and, and, and uh, execute them better than Peterson, for example, this year. Um, but I'm also not predicting that inherently is it's going to happen because it, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> this is a dumb, dirty cliche, but like youth versus experience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. I think, I, I think it will be able to see though as it goes on because it is kind of a high variance program juncture in the same way that this defense in this season on the field was a high variance thing. Um, so I think it'll be fine regardless. Yeah, I, I think just listening to that analysis and some of what we talked about earlier makes me think about how this is probably not even just a one-year plan. We've heard about how Lake, according to pretty reliable reporting, was offered the Cal job two years ago and the Colorado job a year ago and turned them both down. Uh, at the time, that was, you know, we, we it was when we promoted him to co-defensive coordinator and they got play calling duties and then he kind of consistently got raises and got elevated and I'm wondering you know we kind of thought eventually Lake is going to be a head coach everybody operated under that assumption I don't think any Husky fans were thinking eventually Lake is going to be our head coach because it didn't seem like Peterson was going to be ready to move on soon enough to uh, fulfill that need because Lake would have a better option sooner than that and now that I look back on it I wonder if we were misreading the tea leaves on that and this was something maybe not at this exact moment in time but was something they had planned for a longer amount of time even if it was you know you know it could mean a lot of different things it could mean Peterson wants a year or two away and and will explore other options when he comes back or that on down the line a lot of possibilities but I do wonder if this is something that they uh, had had been planning for a much longer amount of time, and to your point, allowed Lake to get a broad base of, ex- of executive experience that a head coach would yeah. need that most coordinators wouldn't have coming in. And that's certainly a reason for tempered optimism. So before we uh, close the book on the coaching discussion, let's do a couple of uh, fairly rapid-fire uh, questions. I just want to kind of get your instant reaction on uh, a few topics. First, what do you think, do you expect there to be any differences in the coaching staff or philosophy uh, that will be immediately apparent to this team without Peterson at the helm? Uh, like next year or? Yeah, 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 next year, not not in the bowl game. Yeah, yeah, I guess Peterson's still coaching the bowl game. Um, I don't know. I don't really think, I don't really think with the amount of information available to just fans and stuff, I don't really think we have enough information to make it educated or to make any more than an educated guess, I suppose. And I don't even know who would be educated. So, I mean, uh, the, our writers have talked back and forth about whether we think Hamden will be, um, you know, kind of maybe freed from the own constraints of Peterson's offense himself and kind of be able to be take charge more. Or if since Blake's that first time head coach and more defensive focus, whether he would want to bring somebody else in completely who has more experience as an offensive um, kind of creator. Um, so I, I think it's obviously it's kind of mostly on the, the offensive side is where most of the, the changes, if there are any, which there probably will be, um, would happen, which I'm not saying anything genius there. I think what will be interesting is seeing what happens with Bob Gregory because, I mean, it's no, no, uh, secret that the inside linebackers, especially the senior inside linebackers were pretty bad this year and, a lot of his, I feel like he had a longer leash than uh, most people would with how the linebackers played this year and how the special teams was last year, um, et cetera, um, based on his relationship with Chris Peterson. So I think that'll be interesting on the defensive side. But other than that, I think the defense is probably mostly going to stay the same. But, yeah. Yeah, I think Hamden is probably the one to circle in that analysis. Interesting point about Gregory. Hamden is kind of the one with the microscope on him because the offense underperformed in some key situations this year, and a lot of fans, at least, had questions about the play calling. It's a first-year offensive coordinator. uh, or I'm sorry, not a first-year offensive coordinator, but he's a relatively new offensive coordinator in the system. He's still developing his own playbook. Uh, If Jimmy Lake had in his coaching history – 
a close relationship. I'm thinking back on like how Jonathan Smith brought in Mike Riley as I, I don't think it was as an official assistant, but as a consultant. If mm-hmm. Lake had worked with some great offensive mind in the past who was out of a job right now and could slot into that role, that might be a nice security blanket, but I would be very concerned about bringing in uh, an inexperienced offensive coordinator or even an experienced one with a very different philosophy and without a a great personal relationship to serve under a first-time head coach. I I think there's just too many managerial issues that would be uh, fraught in a situation like that. I would prefer to give Hamden another year and, and see, you know, reevaluate once Blake has had a chance to get his feet under him. Next question. Do, yeah. you expect, do you expect anything to look different on the recruiting front? I, I think Lake has a reputation of being a really strong recruiter and has maybe been kind of one of the lead recruiters in uh, the Husky coaching staff over the last few years. Do you think that will continue? Do you think this will have a big impact on this class or anything down the road? Um, yeah, I mean, on defense, I don't. I, I can't really imagine it having any effect on at least this class. Um, negatively, uh, and I don't think I think it would be a massive positive boon to to recruiting you know, on the defensive side going forward. Um, I think on offense, I'm kind of in hold mode, holding mode, because um, you know, I, especially for for this class, since it's a relatively short amount of time until early signing day, and about two months until normal signing day. Um, you know, to have that thrown at them pretty, I mean, pretty suddenly. I I imagine if you're a recruit, no matter how solid you are in theory to Washington, um, and you, uh, that that is sharring. So I don't I don't know if I'm expecting like a crap load of people to decommit on the offensive side as well. But I I I wouldn't be shocked if there's maybe a, a couple a, a few guys who hold out till. February to sign. Um, and then it's worth noting also that for 2021, Sam Heward has already reaffirmed his commitment, which that isn't shocking, um, considering the fact that he is the legacy of legacies. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. I, I, yeah. it'll be, this is another area where we around Hamden's name. We haven't heard his name in recruiting as much as some others. Junior Adams is often cited as a really solid recruiter on that side of the ball. And, uh, you know, Hamden being the most or the highest ranking member of the offensive coaching staff will have more responsibility on his shoulders there now as well. Uh, so once again, just something to, uh, more pressure on him, but hopefully something he can make good on. Uh, another thing that I, I was thinking of earlier today is the approach to the fans in the media. Peterson, obviously, very close-lipped. He doesn't like to divulge any information. He doesn't have to. If he's talking about an injury, an injury he usually just calls it week to week, no matter what the injury is. Uh, doesn't seem to want to share anything. Lake, at least in the limited exposure uh, we've had to him, seems more gregarious, a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more willing to express his opinion. Uh you know, most famously last year when he belittled uh, Mike Leach after the Apple Cup for calling the same plays over and over. Do you think we're going to get more sound bites out of Lake, is, or is this something that he'll temper uh, with a more senior role with the team? I don't know. I've kind of been wondering th- about that as well today, about how that, the attitude of this – because I don't think there's going to be, like, a massive shift into some, like, Miami – circa 1991-style, like, trash talkers Which or sucks. anything. But I was kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. No, I, w- I was kind of wondering that myself about if, um, you know, if we're going to see a little bit more of, uh, I suppose, Jimmy Lake embracing being a bad guy. Um, I don't. I think he'll – I think you're probably right. I think he'll kind of tone it – keep it to- closer to his chest or at least learn to do so the longer uh, he has this gig, um, just because it's, it's easy when you're a coordinator or a player to just say something, and then you don't really have to deal with the consequences, you know. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think it could – I think he'll probably pull it back a little bit. But, I mean, it's not like he was a huge, you know, crazy trash talker or anything anyway. He was just a little bit more, like you said, gregarious and outgoing. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you'll probably see see quite a bit of – of that, um, but I think I don't think he's probably going to taunt Mike Leach as a head coach. Um, but I think he'll be able to have, have some good sound bites from time to time. Probably that's my guess. 
That, yeah, I, he's definitely more outgoing, so I think we'll see that reflected, but it'll probably be outgoing in coach speak rather than outgoing in, uh, you know, truly uh, great trash talk. Last uh, thing that I uh, have been stressing over now, one, this, is, this is something that has changed, which is uh, Chris Peterson was offered the USC job several times and turned it down before he came to Washington. So we could always confidently say when the media speculated – well, what if USC comes calling and they just give him a blank check? We could say he's had that opportunity and he didn't want it. That's not true for Jimmy Lake. He's never been offered the head coaching job at USC. Lake obviously has very strong ties to this program, to the city, the state. Do you feel as confident saying Lake is a UW lifer as you were, as we all were, about saying that about Chris Peterson? Um. I mean, he's from Spokane. He went to Eastern, was, you know, here in 2004 uh, before getting fired and then going back as the head coach, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm ne- like, never say never. But, I mean, he turned down so many roles previously, which, again, you could attribute to he was being groomed for a head coaching job, blah, blah, blah. He knew this was coming. But, I mean, for years and years and years of turning down gigs, um, that would have been ostensibly promotions. And I think it's kind of a little bit of him maybe being an it-getter about the fact that something that looks on paper like a better deal, whether it's more glamorous or more prestigious or whatever, um, is just as likely to go wrong. In fact, probably more likely to go wrong and knock you down a peg than kind of staying the course or improving the station that you're at now. Um, and so I think when you tie being from Washington and, and his ties to the state and this program, I I don't really have any fear of him going anywhere. Sounds good enough to me. I'll take that. We're <laughs> going to take our break now. We've been talking for about half an hour nonstop, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to us talk endlessly on this one topic. Ew, we do no. have – well, maybe they do. We do have some other interesting things to talk about, including the Apple Cup, which went – as all the other Apple Cups have gone lately, and the college football playoffs, Pac-12 championship game upcoming. So we'll be right back after these ads to talk about all those things. So stick around. All right, thank you for listening to the advertisements. Welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit of Apple Cup now. The game went pretty much the way the games have gone recently. The Husky defense limited uh, big plays. They tackled in space. They made it hard for the uh, air raid offense to get any traction. Peterson finishes 6-0 against Leach. It was a 221-82 to aggregate score over those games, and he had a 22-7 to turnover margin across multiple different assistant coaches, coordinators, players, uh, you know, it, strategies. It was a big-time mismatch. Uh, Gaby, what did you uh, take away from watching this game? What were the themes here, and were they any different than what we saw the last five times these teams played? I, th- I think two things. I had two main takeaways, both for offense and defense. Um, and on offense, it doesn't really matter since they only have one more game and blah, blah, blah. But uh, it, it this looked like a game where they were kind of just getting out of their rut that they were in uh, for Colorado, Oregon State, and the second half of Utah. And it, I, I wish this was a game based on that performance that was earlier in the year because I, I watch it and I go, oh, if only you guys had a few more, I feel like you could get in a rhythm. Because um, they didn't, you know, they didn't blow anybody away. It was only 31 points, but uh, which against Wazoo was fine, but not killer. Uh, but it felt like they were kind of starting to get their confidence back and just kind of to uh, say, as the French do, get their shit together, um, even if it wasn't dominant. Uh, my main takeaway, though, for is on the defense because that's kind of uh, where more of this long-term program um, uh, predictive stuff lies just based on how much youth there was there. And that is that uh, I am very excited about next year's defense. Um, simply because, uh, because of the amount of youth and the high variance level and how they were kind of iffy at times during the season. Um, but, you know, the Apple Cup against Oregon State, part of the time against Colorado, they really just looked 
like they were really playing so much tighter and just with more chemistry and like they trusted everyone, each all the guys around them to have their assignment. Um, especially in the middle, I think Ulifosio kind of making his mark. I now feel like there's somebody who you can trust as a pillar of the middle of the defense going forward in the linebackers. Um, I think the secondary has a lot of things figured out for, you know, the foundation of moving forward. Um, I thought they tackled typically a lot better in space than what we've seen uh, at times this year. Um, and I think you look at the young pieces of the defensive line and the outside linebackers moving forward. It really looks like next year, um, like something where I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun again. Like there, we had to take the lumps this year on the defense and, um, next year I think it's all going to be back to what we were expecting, especially because lost in this whole Jimmy Lake thing is that, uh, Pete Korkowski is back to being the sole defensive coordinator. And frankly, I think he is, I think he has a little bit more of the nuance of the play calling. Um, I, I like that. I don't think he blitzes as much as Jimmy Lake. So I think you add all those things together. Um, uh, from a personnel standpoint, from a play calling standpoint moving forward, and I am just very excited. I like seeing the defense improve like this over the course of the year and what it implies for the future. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I The one other thought I wanted to add was watching this offensively, I find myself thinking, well, this is what our offense is supposed to look like. You know, Eason is getting the ball out on time. The pass protection is a little bit better. Receivers are making catches. We're running a variety of plays. The multiple looks and all the pre-stab motions seem to actually be adding something to the offense by making it easier to read the coverages. And then I found myself answering myself by saying, well, yeah, it's, it's Wazoo's defense. They just gave up 53 points last week. And then I found myself saying, but that's not any better than Colorado's defense, who we couldn't score on the week before. So I, I just ended up in this feedback yeah. loop where I don't know if I learned anything because the, the <laughs> team's inconsistent offense has been yeah. so confusing to me through the year that it's hard to really draw any broad-based conclusions. Um, I, I, before we get off of the Apple Cup topic, I wanted to talk briefly about Mike Leach. I, I was Before we found out about uh, Peterson, I figured we'd be talking a lot more about Leach uh, today. He's, you know, there have been some rumors about him swirling every year, as there are every year, but it seems like it kind of, it keeps crescendoing year after year about him leaving Washington State. I I guess, you know, he was in and then he was out for the Arkansas job. Now there are rumors about the Mississippi job. Do you think Leach coaches again at Washington State? Uh, If so, do you think he, uh, you know, has a long-term future there or are we kind of nearing the end of this chapter for him? I don't know. I, I mean, I would go 50-50 solely because it, it looks like, yeah, maybe he's about, he's on his way out, but it also looked like that the last, what, one, maybe two, yeah, two years. I only remember that because, uh, two years ago I was at watching the Apple Cup with a bunch of coops and one of them got really, uh, sassy and salty and drunk and was telling me about how Mike Leach isn't going to take, that was the Tennessee job at the time. Uh, so I, I, you know, every year it feels kind of like, oh, maybe he's going to go, and then he stays. So it's kind of a uh, – there's just sort of the um, precedent for who knows. Um, but the other thing is I – some of our writers were talking about how um, – was it Arkansas or not Arkansas? I don't remember how one of the teams was maybe going to hire him, and then they didn't because he, uh, you know, was frankly a little bitch after the – <laughs> after the Apple Cup and, like, can't handle himself. But, like, we already knew that. He does this every year where he says a bunch of stuff that's just, like, just crappy and uh, lacks accountability and, you know, doesn't, well, yeah, he's I don't know, it, just like, lacks kind of human interaction. This year, it's pretty even have so to look many, back yeah. to last year, yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so, like, why would this outburst be it? Why... If you've done even a little bit of your homework, you know that that's coming anyway. Why would one more time make you be like, oh, no, I don't want him as my head coach? Because if you wanted him as your head coach already, then you were okay with the rest of the stuff, which I'm not, like, putting any personal judgment on, like, the okayness of what he says. But, I mean, the attitude, mostly the attitude and how it reflects his 
lack of accountability is kind of more more what bugs me or would bug me if I were a Coug fan. As it is, I don't really care. It's not my team. Um, yeah, I don't know. He just never he never seems to 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 yeah hold himself to to any account. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I thought that same thing when he lashed out at the reporter for asking a, a pretty reasonable question uh, about the the trend in these games. And he he goes from Lubbock to Pullman, and then has shown a lot of interest in jobs in places like Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Oxford, Mississippi. These aren't places that are known as like bastions of of news media. That are you know they're, they're kind of smaller towns that probably have smaller newspapers that are pretty reliant on the the program you know the, the football team to to help drive their revenue. It makes me think that he doesn't particularly want that kind of scrutiny or, and and reinforces the idea that you just uh, mentioned that he's he doesn't really take responsibility for his own failures and isn't very accountable. All that said, I think if I was a Wazoo fan, I would want him to stay. Uh, you know, the the success, lack of success in the Apple Cup notwithstanding, this has been a very solid run for them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think back, you know, when he was at Texas Tech, he similarly, he had a season, the Graham Harrell, uh, Michael Crabtree season. I think they finished in a three-way tie for the Big 12 title. It was kind of like last year at Wazoo, the twenty the, the mid-year mm-hmm. 2018 season. You're, you're not going to do that year after year, but if you get one of those in like eight or ten at a school of that size and – with their resources, that's a pretty phenomenal job uh, for, for that yeah. school, I think. Yeah, I think you're pretty much right. And I think, um, I I mean, his attitude notwithstanding, um, I would mo- for the most part agree with you. Because it's, it's kind of, if you're a, a place with those kinds of resources where you're sort of a perpetual underdog on the football field anyway, um, that you kind of have to play your cards right where you want to get all the things lined up so that you can have enough sample sizes of seasons and games where when things all align perfectly um, because of kind of how that, those sample sizes are rotating, um, where you can have a really good season like like they did with Minshew or uh, like Graham Harrell at Texas Tech. Um, because, I mean, yeah, you're not going to – I mean, I don't want to be one of those downers of, like, everyone has to have their place. But realistically, with the resources that Texas Tech – that a Texas Tech team or a Wazoo team – has you can't you I mean maybe you can but it's going to be a pretty rough sledding if you expect to be able to get the talent base and other resources to be kind of you know at a place where like USC is at right yeah I think I, I saw somebody on one of the Cougar message boards made the point that you're obviously never going to be able to out-recruit USC or probably even UW or UCLA or Arizona State, kind of like the second tier of recruiting powerhouses in the conference. So you have to approach it differently, which is intelligently what they did with Leach, that he does something that requires a different skill set and make the most of that. And if you're going to hire a new coach, it's, you know, you maybe if you're doing it just to win the Apple Cup, Maybe you're hiring somebody who runs a different sort of—I don't want to use the word gimmicky—but offbeat offense or has a different kind yeah. of system. What are you, you going to like hire a, a, a wing T coach or a triple option coach just because? Yeah, you are. It would be fun, but I don't think they'd be any better than they are now. I think no, that's a they absolutely point. should. No. So, so you yeah, know, they're, they're probably in a pretty good spot altogether, and they're not going to lose every Apple Cup forever. Even if Leach play if Leach coaches there another five years, they're going to win eventually. It's just they're not going to yeah. win every year. Yeah. And I think for what it's worth also as an asterisk doll say Leach say, you know, we say it's fifty fifty to return next year, who knows? Um, let's say he is poached and does go somewhere. I think the number one thing if you're Wazoo's A D is you have to find a coach who offensively has a system in place to minimize talent deficiencies. Um, you know, whether that's uh, some sort of air raid derivation or, I mean, probably not the option because they're not like that talent uh, deprived, but, you know, something something that's there to, to uh Well, you have different versions of it, like a quarterback yeah. run heavy uh, offense. 
events or something. Yeah. They're different. For, yeah, yeah. There are different options, but like you were saying, it's, it's, you're yeah, not like something a like that. option. <laughs> not like, like Navy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you'd have, you'd have to fight because otherwise you're just, I mean, there's a really low ceiling where you're trying to line up one versus one against other teams like, uh, like you'd have when they have good recruits, Oregon, uh, USC, et cetera. Yes, I agree with that. So, uh, it's, it's getting late early here, so let's uh, get quickly on to finishing up with the Pac-12 and the rest of nice. our uh, college football thoughts. So I just want to run through kind of quickly just a couple sentences on each of these conference title games and see where that leaves us in terms of where we both are with our final four projections after this week. So the first one, obviously the most relevant to us, the Oregon-Utah game coming up disgustingly once again on Friday. Uh, who do you uh, project in this one? We've talked about it a lot through the year, so let's uh, just kind of think about, uh, have, has your opinion changed on this at all? Yep, nope. I'm still going with, with Utah. We've talked about this a lot the last couple episodes especially, so if anyone's listening to this that hasn't listened to the last few, pretty much what I've said is I uh, expect, I, earlier in the year I was thinking Oregon over Utah, but the way that Utah's improved over the year, I think their defense is more solid. I think their offense is more reliable when the going gets tough. Um, and I, I actually trust Tyler Huntley, I think, more um, under pressure. Um, yeah. Than yeah. As, like, like you said, we've, we've covered a lot of this, and, and a lot of it has to do with Utah having the type of defense that can get Oregon off their schedule, which is yeah. run the ball to make the passing game easier for Herbert. Uh, it's really hard to run the ball on Utah. It's They have – extremely strong run defense stats. So they're going to have to rely on Herbert more. And when he's the first option, that's when he tends to start making mistakes. I would imagine a couple turnovers. I think Utah's defense, this would kind of look like a little bit like last year's game, but probably a little more, little lower scoring than projected. Uh, but I think Utah will eke it out. Wait, a little lower scoring than 10 to three? No, no lower scoring than projected. I don't know what the, uh, <laughs> got. the, the, okay. Total projection is on the game, but certainly not. Right, Wasn't yeah. it ten to six? But either way, the current over under uh, on the game is forty nine, and I would take the under on that. I think both teams will yeah, probably score, I would, yeah, which is I a would very say. low number, by the way. Um, yeah. So no, I think you're right. Uh, next one, Georgia LSU, probably the most highest prestige of the conference title games. Our, I mean, I think the popular consensus would be LSU, but it wouldn't be shocking if Georgia won it. you feel any differently? Yeah, I think that's pretty much. And I, um, yeah, I, I think if all goes according to plan, I, I can't really see LSU losing this. Although, to be fair, I think it's kind of ironic that LSU's defense has kind of taken a step back this year when that was for so long the thing that they were, <laughs> you know, they were kind of um, – just like pound it on the ground, run past punt, and then hold everybody on defense. Um, but yeah, I I have a pretty hard time. I I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia won, but it, yeah, I think it's pretty much LSU unless they kind of screw it up. Uh, two that seem more straightforward: Ohio State and Ohio State plays Wisconsin. Clemson <laughs> plays. The University of Virginia, you taking the favorites in both of those? Yup. And Baylor, is this, this going to turn out any differently than the first time they played? Oh, man. I think this will be the most fun one to watch because Oklahoma just, just like, should be so much better and they're just tight, or just better than not how they are, better than everyone in the conference based on talent, except for Texas, I suppose. Um, uh, they should be so much better, but they're just kind of hanging on by a thread. What they have like three wins by that are each by like three points, and then the first half to Baylor, they were just a cluster and a half. Alex Grinch's defense hasn't really caught on in the same way it did at Wazoo. I mean, they're not. I mean, maybe it's a little bit better, but you know, it's still an Oklahoma defense. Um, so, oh, I think that's going to be fun, and I don't really know which one to pick if if Oklahoma were to play up to their abilities, it should be them. But who knows? I think yeah. that if you had to pick watch, it should be that. I, yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm taking Oklahoma there, too. They they played without CeeDee Lamb the last time they played Baylor, and that was the game where they fell way behind early and then came yeah. back late. Uh, and I, I don't think they're going to, you know, just kind of fall all over, over themselves at the start of this game. 
So that leaves us, I think we're in agreement on these with the not guaranteed, but most likely winners of these games being Utah, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Uh, I, presumably that would leave LSU, Clemson, Ohio State as the easy choices. The more difficult one being between Oklahoma, Utah, and then, you know, maybe if, you know, somebody wants to be difficult, put Georgia in that debate as well. Uh, who would you take from that group and what would be your justification? Um, well, I'm not going to pick a two-loss team until there's precedent for that. So instantly that puts Georgia out of it. Um, whether or not they deserve it, you know, who who cares? But um, I think if you look at just – if you if you look at what the committee claims they look at, then you kind of have to pick Utah just based on the um, the eye test of them really beating down the people that they've, the people, the games, the opponents that they've won. I mean, it kind of goes back to that whole thing where that I mentioned of Oklahoma barely scraping by and like three or four wins um, versus Utah. I, I read a thing earlier today that was Utah has won like all of their games for the last couple months by like, I don't even know, but like many, many points except for their win against Washington. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's very yeah. one sided yeah. in history. Yeah, um, and in two conferences that are typically not perceived as super great by by uh, the committee or the national media, you know who cares? Um, it, you kind of have to look at those evenly and be like, well, mm, okay. Um, and obviously, you know, we're biased because we're on the west coast and blah blah blah. But I mean, it really does seem like the only way to get Oklahoma in unless they absolutely demolish Baylor and, and Utah kind of barely slips by Oregon would be looking at their brand and their recruiting, because obviously they do have a greater talent advantage and that's not unnecessary, un, um, totally unfair to look at talent because that's, you know, that's important. You can only coach up people so much and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but other than that, I mean, Utah has a better resume, I think. Right. I think, yeah, it's it's interesting. Two other caveats to that. I, I think you could make an argument for Oklahoma based on the fact that a win over Baylor would give them four um, wins over ranked teams, two of them over Baylor, and then Oklahoma State and Texas, uh, even though, you know, those teams didn't stay great after those games. Uh, the other yeah. interesting one is right. that both teams, have, both teams have a loss to an unranked team, uh, Oklahoma to K-State, and uh, Utah to USC. And it's funny to think about that because you're like, well, yeah, losing to USC, there's no shame in that. These are both eight and four teams. Uh, They're both, you know, going to be in relatively equal bowls. And, yes, USC has a lot more talent than K-State, but based on their actual results, they're probably pretty equivalent losses, both by exactly one touchdown. Uh, So, Kind of interesting to look at it that way. I, I kind of have an inkling that Oklahoma would end up getting uh, the the nod yeah. over Utah based on the number of wins over top teams. But who knows if we're even going to be having this debate a week from now or if, you know, Baylor wins that game and Georgia wins and there's everything's just in turmoil. Yeah. And I think also, for what it's worth, like, I think Utah's kind of – or it's I, – we're talking presumptuously because we're – but if Utah were to win uh, the Pac-12 championship, I think they're kind of in a win-win situation because either they get into the playoff and then you get to say, yay, we're in the playoff, whatever, um, or they don't. They go to the next best thing and get a, an opponent they have a much higher chance of beating, um, and then they get to play the whole, oh, we're disrespected card, which, you know, <laughs> knows kind of good. about that. They got to do that once yeah. before. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but I don't know. I think they've got a good enough defense to kind of hang in, in a game. One last thing before we finish bowl talk, but while we're here, just, you know, the Huskies have no more games to play before their bowl uh, is set up. Do you have, do you care at all about this? I will put in one little uh, thing. It's just, I, I've seen some projections of going to the holiday bowl in San Diego I'm not going to go to these games anyway. I, I didn't go to the Rose Bowl last year. I'm not going to travel to a second-tier bowl. Uh, but, you know, the Holiday Bowl, good chance of playing Michigan, which would set us up to play back-to-back games against Michigan. The other one I've seen frequently is the Red Box Bowl in our home away from home at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, uh, which 
I've seen projected against anyone from Iowa to Indiana to Illinois, uh, or you know maybe put Idaho in that mix too. Yeah. Well, I, I, the only thought I have here is I, I kind of want to end up playing Iowa because I feel fairly confident about that game, but I think that gives Peterson a chance to go out with a win over a team that's perceived as a traditional Big Ten power, and so many people have given him crap about not beating uh, Penn State, Ohio State, Alabama, or Auburn in those four games that he's had an opportunity against the the powerhouse conferences. So winning a game against a very good team from one of those conferences would probably be a a good send-off for him, and so I, I have a small vote that hopefully that's what ends up happening. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care which bowl it is so much as what the opponent is. Cause I mean, I'm not going to be traveling either. Like we could make it to the playoff. I still wouldn't travel because I have like shows and other stuff I have to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, frankly, it would suck to get Michigan regardless of the fact that we're opening because A, that's just boring that you're doing them twice in a row. But, um, also they're like, Frankly, they're a lot better of a team than UW is this year. Um, for as good of uh, in advanced metrics as UW is for a team that has as many losses as it has, Michigan is also per advanced metrics quite a bit better than uh, as far as as far as last time I checked anyway. Better than than their I should say not better than their ranking, but better than their perception because so much of their perception is tied up in losing to um, losing to Ohio State, et cetera, and their kind of problems at the beginning of the year. Um, so that just wouldn't be a very fun game, I don't think. Um, but, you know, I think a game against Indiana, or not Indiana, that, but, but, you know, some other team that's, like, good, but whatever. Is, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind playing good. It would at least make me interested in the game, but, like, playing Illinois, I would be – about as fired up for that game as I was for, yeah. you know. I wish we could have played Michigan, game. like, last year or next year, you know. Well, you're in luck because we do. So uh, there's another opportunity. Uh, okay, so yeah. let's let's uh, put a bow on it. Let's do our recommendations or plugs. Anything new from last week? Uh, anything you want to plug or recommend for the folks? Uh, F. I watched something. How many times have I done this where I said, oh, I saw something good and I can't remember what it is? Like, well, it can't be that good then. Um, I watched a few of um, stand-ups on Netflix. Uh, what was I getting into? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Beth Selling has a good – she has a good half hour there. Uh, go watch that, I guess. That's the first thing that pops into my mind because I can't think of anything else. And then I'll think of it at 2 in the morning and be like, darn it, why didn't I tell them that? That's what Twitter is for. Um, yeah, there I spent we go. Most of the weekend watching The Irishman, which was good, I'd recommend it. But uh, I, I think all, all things considered, it was probably my third favorite movie I've seen so far this year. Uh, I'm, I mean, I know some people are kind of tired of the Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro gangster thing, but I, I, I'm still into it. Good movie. Uh, yeah. But I think everybody knows about that. That's not surprising anyone. Uh, I like recommending books because it's kind of harder to pinpoint what books to read. And the last few I've read have not been recommendation worthy. But I did finish one last night that I would recommend. Uh, it's it's a – although maybe some people have read this. It's a book of – a collection of essays by Joan Didion called The White Album, uh, mainly about the – written in the early to mid-'70s about – uh, her life living in California, the so various people and social movements that were important at that time, and it kind of functions as like putting, a, giving some retrospection on the cultural changes that happened in California in the 1960s with very little historical uh, distance from it. So she's kind of digesting it as it's happening. And mm -hmm. they're interesting topics. Some of them are like obituaries for people I've never heard of before, but she's such an incredibly precise writer that it's, it's just a pleasure to read it. It's the kind of thing that makes me want to go practice writing so I can get better at writing because I feel embarrassed that I read what she's writing and I, and I think to myself, like, we're not even doing the same thing. It's like the difference between when I play pickup basketball and watch LeBron James on TV. It's like, I got to get back out there and practice. So I, if anything, yeah. yeah, just read it for the pros. Very, very impressive. I, yeah. 
I I totally know exactly what you're talking about. Where when you read someone who's so good at writing that you're like, well, I should stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But actually, that re- that reminds me, I do have a plug um, because I think what, what is the date today? I think there's two more. No, one more. Um, okay, this Thursday at 8.30 or whatever, um, at the Pocket Theater, there's the, either the last or the second to last of the weekly off-the-top shows that happen there. I will probably be there um, because, but yeah, it's the second to last of the shows. Uh, it's been going on for like three, over three years. This um, this is a weekly, um, but the Pocket Theater is closing down. So they are also, until they find a new venue, um, it's a really fun, fun, uh, show. It's a improvised stand-up show where people get little PowerPoints and then tell jokes about them, and it's very fun. Um, yeah. So do that and then watch anything else. <laughs> That's my actual plug. Sounds great. Uh, I think we yep. may have set a record for our longest podcast ever, but for good reason. There was a lot to unpack today, and I think we got to the bottom yeah. of all of it and answered every possible question somebody could have about Chris Peterson or the Apple Cup or the college football playoffs. So uh, at least yeah. that was time yep. well spent for everybody listening to it. Uh, so in the meantime, we haven't talked about Cody Pickett at all today, so we're just going to throw his name out there just to keep it active. Uh, but we will be back uh don't know exactly what our schedule is going to be in the time between now and the bowl game, but we will be recording podcasts at some point. So keep an eye on your feed. And until then, thanks for listening and talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Do good things. Don't do bad things. Bad out to Washington.